And I'm John Scott. <laughs> Fucking hell. I'm JP, and I'm joined as always by... Nud and Scott. Um, and we've been away for two years, I guess. Um, if you want to know why, uh, my wife Sarah was poorly for a really long time. She was in hospital, so I couldn't do the podcast then. Uh, there was a period of time in 2019 where we were all working different jobs and we just couldn't get time off to get together regularly. Hmm. Um, and then, obviously, the whole world got poorly in 2020. Yeah. So, with COVID. So, we haven't been getting together, uh, you know, this year uh, much. So, um, so we haven't been doing the podcast. We haven't seen that much of each other, have we? I mean, we've, we've had the odds. No, I mean, um, get we, up, could, but not we could do a brief... Like what? What bad films have we seen that might have stuck in our heads since then? Like, no, no, not for long. But just talking about what we've watched separately that we consider to be pretty bad since Justice League. Um, and I know during lockdown we did get together a few times virtually, where we did little group watches online of a few films. Um, we watched, as we're going to get to, a couple of Neil Breen films. Um, we watched a film Killdozer from the seventies. That was a good watch. I that was that, that was amazing. So we yeah. should definitely talk about that in a future episode. But yeah. basically, it was a bunch of construction workers versus a sentient bulldozer that moved as slowly and laboriously as you would imagine <laughs> a bulldozer would move. Yeah. So there was never a huge amount of peril, no, was there? No. Because it's very difficult for a bulldozer to ambush people. Oh fuck! I, know, I remember <laughs> one of the films that I picked. It was probably one of my worst choices. Do you remember one that destroyed us? It was probably almost as bad as some of the worst things we've seen. Go on, remind Robot us. in the Family. Oh, my oh, God. Oh, yeah, we watched Robot in the Family, didn't we? Fuck we should talk about hell. that at some point as well. That was, yeah, I that totally. was bad. That was Starring bad Joey Pants. Pantaloons. From the, from the Matrix. And um, John Rhys-Davies. And John Rhys-Davies. And it was a very odd story about two rival antique dealers... Uh, and, a, and, a, and a robot the in one pan- of their families. Pantaloons had built a robot, and it was going to be his next great invention. So he's like a guy who got his family in debt, but he was one of these people who was always, he had, always had another plan for money. But and I built also, this family robot. But he also owned an antique shop. Yeah. Next door to John Reese Davis' antique shop. And the story was actually about some sort of missing... Gold. Gold thing yeah. that had... That, that had, was in no way connected to the robot yeah. storyline. I remember it being incredibly difficult to follow. Yeah. Like it was, it was a, a ninety minutes of noise. <laughs> Everyone was yelling. That's also, it's the most. It was one of the most bootleggy films that we yeah. watched. It was like VHS because it, yeah, it was really, <laughs> it was really grainy and really difficult to hear. Um, I'm not suggesting that that that, that that's what made it we bad. Needed a, we needed a HD version. <laughs> we needed a remaster. Yeah, yeah, I'm sure if we'd have watched it in 4K, we would have loved it. Yeah, it 4K been. Dolby Atmos. Yeah, remaster. Remix. Yeah, it would have been. I well, feel like, like um, we watched a few Italian films. I know me and Scotty watched a few. Um, the future dystopian. Um, yeah, well, uh, what was it about? Oh, Bronx Warriors. Bronx Warriors. That was type, was type movies, yeah, didn't we? Bronx where, Warriors, which was amusing. where you know where yeah. the future is one big uh, building site. Yeah, uh, with uh, with long haired uh, biker warriors. Yeah, was, you know, having fights. Yeah, Italian, we watched, Italian we watched, biker warriors. Yeah, we watched a few of them, didn't we? Yeah, a couple of them. Um, what else did we see? Did we watch? What was it? Beastmaster. Was it Beastmaster? We watched. 
No. What was it called? Oh, Beast Warrior Master. and the Sorceress. Death no. Master. Death. Death Stalker. Stalker. Death. Death. We watched Death Stalker. They all sort of blend in. These titles all sort of blend yeah. in one after the other. A lot of Amazon Prime cack we watched. Yeah. It oh, was God. trawling Amazon Prime. Because if you go into the deeper recesses of Amazon Prime, there's some real chud in there. Not even really that deep, is it? It's not. No, no it's not if you watch yeah. it anyway. Yeah. It, <laughs> because the algorithm will just float into yeah. the top anyway. So yeah. when I go on Amazon Prime, all it hits me with is chud. Chud. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Did you like Citizen Kane? You might also want to watch Vampire's Kiss. Alien 2. Alien yeah. on Earth. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, Amazon Prime, I, I watched a lot of crap on edge in the lockdown. Um, what I found was all you had to do was pick one cackish film and it would give you just a laundry list of absolute trash mm. underneath going well if you're interested in this film it's yeah. some more for you and it would be stuff that I'd be like holy shit it's some utter shit <laughs> it's some utter like people give Netflix a bad rep for like yeah. some of the shits on there but fucking you know, Amazon Prime yeah I think 90% of its library is just fucking cack 90% like, of it is stuff that's very much similar to the man we're going to be talking about today no it's the same there's a lot of straight to video filmed on a DV cam yeah type films that on there that sort of thing um which we'll get to now. Were you trying brain. to segue to our main topic? I was just mentioning it. I thought we might bring it up at some point. I mean, so we we have, we have been getting together like remotely because uh, of COVID to watch the occasional bad films. And one of the things we discovered in this voyage <laughs> was the oeuvre of um, Neil Breen. So we watched. You brought it up, didn't you originally, John? I think, yeah, I think so. A mate of mine at work got a couple of his films and was raving about how amazing they were in a in a bad way. Mm. So um, I think I might have brought it up originally, and mm. um, we watched a few of these now, haven't we? I think we watched Fatal Findings first, and then we watched uh, Twisted Pair, and then we watched I Am Here dot dot mm. dot dot now. Just recently, just this week. Dot 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 now. So what? So if you're not familiar with Neil Breen, how would you summarise who Neil Breen is and what he does? So he's a successful estate agent. Let's say that first. Yeah. Who, as a as a as a hobby, makes films, independent films, independent films that he writes, directs. Edits does the catering for he puts his, his his credit appears a lot on his films mm. so it feels like it is just him and a camera and a handful of actors or actors yeah, in actors in mm. quote marks uh, making these movies right yeah all in Las Vegas mm. yeah all I'm in pretty Las sure Vegas he's Las Vegas based because yeah. I think he, most of Twisted Pair was set in Las Vegas. Well, most of Twisted Pair was set on an industrial park. That yeah, but there was, anywhere. there was some stuff there that indicated Las Vegas, and this one we watched, um, I Am Here Now. Vegas. Yeah, because there's road signs and all sorts. Um, so, yeah, he's <coughs> in that... Clag comes in different categories, so you've got big blockbuster Clag, which is just misfires, so you've got things like your Van Helsings and such. <coughs> um, then you've got your kind of more lower-budget stuff like Battlefield Earth, um sort of cultish sure that, I'm sure that cost enough at the time <laughs> yeah then you've got your low budget stuff which is like your Italian horrors and you know that sort of but, but but I would say still commercial yeah still commercial so, still, so even that low budget Italian stuff is usually it's usually ripping off an established genre so it yeah, could yeah. be like those post apocalyptic Italian films that we were just yeah, talking yeah. about 
Yeah. You know, they're just trying to do a cheap, quickie version of, yeah. of usually a cheap, quickie version of a, of a Hollywood yeah. movie, yeah, right? Of something that's hit big, so something like yeah. Warriors yeah. or Escape yeah. from New York. Yeah, exactly. Like and then you've got the US produced stuff, which is like the cheap, very cheap horror films like um, Wishmaster and. Uh, Leprechaun, yeah, that and that sort of stuff. stuff you get, you get in the old like early two thousands on the video on the shelf, the cheapo renders, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. And then you've got this other sub level of clag, which um, has been made possible now by things like iPhones and you know, yeah, you know, film so stuff from you know, And I anyone. would put there's a, a very it, there's a, you have to hit a few beats, you have to get a few things right to be in this very exclusive bubble of claggy films and I would probably say I've not seen it but I would would think The Room would fall into this category yeah it does Birdemic Birdemic does and and Neil Breen which is uh, the things you have to get right to be there is it has to be made with sincerity it has to have some kind of miscalculated message in it Mm. Um, but the level of or lack of production or, and or technical yeah. knowledge, technical, yes, about basic film language knowledge. Yeah. I'm going to say, it's I would not, say, it has to be absent. Yeah, you would talk about production values. There's just no production. No, at all. But so, it's just down to the basics of. Even if you had an yeah. iPhone, you could yeah. shoot uh, me. The three of us now, we could shoot a two-way conversation. Yeah, we've had this chat before we started recording. Yeah, where with one iPhone, you could do. Over the shoulder, John talks to me. Then over John's shoulder, me talking back to him. And then a shot of the two of us talking to each other. Yeah. And you cut between those three shots, and that's how you do a conversation. So, yeah, and that's something you learn just by from osmosis of watching TV and film, yeah. right? You learn from... Like, that's how Quentin Tarantino apparently... So, it's called yeah. continuity editing, and yeah. it's very, very straightforward. There are a bunch of rules that you need to apply to, to to individual shots. So, when you connect them together, the human brain can understand... Uh, the connective tissue that's missing between these shots. Great example is a shot of somebody looking, next shot is the thing that they're looking at. Really straightforward. If somebody's walking or traveling in a car, if you shoot them from one side so they are going from left to right, then you shoot them again, you shoot them from the same side so they're going left to right again, and if you shoot them again, going to their destination, you shoot them left to right. So it's the progression of a journey. Yeah. If you yeah. suddenly stopped doing that and shot them from the other side, yeah. they'd be going right to left. And the and the brain would be confused. You wouldn't know what yeah. you're seeing. Mm-hmm. And what's interesting in these really low-budget films uh, that we're talking about is that the the filmmakers have no concept of that at all. Yeah. So so they would, they're just randomly going to shoot random things at random times and slap it all together um, and it's and it's just in it, by its very nature, it's funny. It's usually funny because you can see so clearly what they're doing wrong. Yeah, yeah. The, um, and another example of that is okay, is it Andy New the did a bird? I think what's his name? James 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 Wyan James. Is it one? Is it's spelled N G U Y E. Yeah, no idea how it's pronounced. No, me neither. But anyway, this, he does the same thing. Um, like some film language, it's very easy to show someone making that journey. You, you show them getting into a car, you show them on the road, you take an establishing shot of the place they're arriving at, and you're done. They seem to think you need to show the entire journey. Oh, yeah. So this film, and I think Neil brings other films, and Birdemic could be 40 minutes shorter if you just took out all well, the Well, that might be also shots. part of it. They realise that 
they've written a written a screenplay, yeah. um, and then they've realised if they shot it, if they just yeah, shot the bits they needed, yeah. it would be a forty-five minute thing to yeah. be done. So they need to pad it out. Yeah. Unfortunately, what they think needs to be padded out is us seeing how they get from place yeah. A to B, because that happens in this film a lot, yeah. um, and also near the beginning. Um, Basically, Neil Breen in this film is a space Jesus. So in this film, we're talking about uh, um, I Am Here Now, which I am is the one that we just watched. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and he arrives on Earth in a desert. Robot space Jesus. Robot space Jesus. Yeah. We could tell he's a robot because he's got like a motherboard from a laptop strapped to his chest <laughs> in white robes. And he turns up, you, know, you see his shadow on the floor, so he's crucified. Yeah. And it's, it's not subtle. None of this is subtle. Um, and there is a theme between all of his films where he has a messiah complex. I'm convinced mm. he has a messiah complex. Um, well, he's playing God in this film or Jesus, isn't he? And he is in the other ones as well. He's playing a variation uh, of some yes. messiah or um, yes. saviour of some kind. Yeah. In Fatal Findings, he is a hacker yeah. with some sort of supernatural power because of the weird stuff with the girl and the orb at the beginning and the end of the film. Yeah, see, now you're going to confuse our listeners to what the hell we talk about. Yeah, yeah. and then it's a just... twisted pair. They're both cosmic beings that one's yin and yang, one's yeah. evil and one's good. But in Fatal Findings, the hacker finds everything, all the information that exists on the internet about bad business yeah. and reveals it all. So all of the, all of the yeah, crooked we'll, business we'll get to his and politicians yeah. can politicians. kill themselves. Yeah. But that, and, but that, and that's the same thing when you say it's a messiah complex. Yeah. He's saving the world, isn't he, in all yeah. those films? Um, and in this film, he turns up covered in motherboards and stuff and he's Space Jesus and he keeps saying, I am disappointed with the progression of your species. And he's talking about humanity. And so you, the human species. Tells so, you, so in case you're not sure, species. he tells you it's the human species he's referring to. And he's he mentions that he's he's colonised or he's he's populated several worlds. So it's like some sort of Promethean thing where he's gone around several planets and he's spread spreading life, seed, spreading life throughout the cosmos. And he's disappointing in humanity's progression. And all of that stuff in the desert at the beginning is tediously long, mm. really long pans of the desert. Really, the same shot of him looking around and frowning. And the doom face mask thing. Oh, God, yeah. Shifting between his face, face yeah. and rapid cuts of him wearing this Halloween really mask. bad, yeah, r- rubber mask. Well, I don't know what he's supposed to be representing. Um, well, I think he's an alien, isn't he? Yeah. So I think maybe that is representing his true form as, well, a, as a guy in a Halloween mask. He tries to have several themes in his films, and he all tried to... Some of them are on the nose, Where? and some of them don't add up. So when was this shot? What year was this? It was actually made, I think, in around about 2009. Oh, so this predates Prometheus. <laughs> wow, well, okay. Maybe, maybe, yeah, maybe Scott was maybe, yeah, maybe. influenced by Neil Green. Maybe. Um, but yeah, I find found a lot of this film was incredibly stretched out. Yeah. Like, incredibly stretched out. And there's a bit with some people in a van who just like to shoot their gun in the air and do drugs, um, which is random. Um, we'll get to all that, I guess, at some point or another. But I, for me, yeah, this film in particular, I know Fatal Finds and, and Twisted Pair have the exact same problem, but he uses the same shots over and over. Yeah. And this bit, at the beginning of this film, it's him looking left and right around the desert and him complaining about the, des- the species. But he uses a lot of the same shots over and, and over. And he uses a lot of stock footage as well. Yeah. yeah. So so in this film, lots of stock footage of desert, 
lots of stock footage of wind, the same shot of wind turbines we see about six or seven times. Don't yeah. You know? So there's a lot of stock footage, a lot of repeated footage. The whole end of this film is exactly the same as the beginning, but reversed. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So you see exactly the same shots in exactly the same order at the end for the same ten minutes that you see all at, at the beginning. Mm-hmm. Um, and another thing he likes to do, he's got, he's definitely got a stock collection of props which show up in every film. So you've got doll heads. Rubber um, spiders. Yeah, rubber spiders. Laptops. <laughs> not so much in this one, but he's got an obsession with laptops for some reason. He seems to be, seems to collect them. He seems to equate intelligence with number of laptops you own. Yeah. So when, when he's had the character in um, Fatal Findings has about 10 laptops in his office, mm. which just, he must be, he's a really good hacker because he's got a lot of laptops. Mm. It's like a quantity thing, isn't it? Yeah. So he must be the best hacker because other hackers might only have like one or two yeah. laptops and he's got like eight. Yeah, and, yeah. He, and he throws books on him a lot and complains. I yeah. remember that. He does do that a lot. Why is this happening? What have you done? That's how he talks. All the, all so the we should talk about yeah, we should talk about the acting in the film and the delivery of some of the lines in the film because they're amusing. So there's always a very long pause between each line that's delivered. Yeah. Often I feel the lines are shot individually, so a person will speak their line directly to camera, looking dead at the camera, and then you will cut to the next shot, which is somebody's answer, which is also shot in exactly the same way. So conversations often feel very, very stilted, don't they? Like they've, like they've been shot, like each line has been shot completely separately on its own. Yeah. And then often when he's having a conversation with multiple people, the initial establishing shot to show where all the people are will have no sound at all whilst their mouths are moving. Then I'll go into the close-ups where people are just giving the lines directly to camera. And then when he goes back to a longer shot, usually they're all standing in different positions or wearing different clothes. <laughs> so, and, and, and there's loads of, I mean, there's, I mean, there's so many examples of these continuity errors that are just so funny. I think my favourite one is in, I think it's in Fatal Findings. I think it's when Neil Breen and the actress in the film are canoodling and we go down to their feet to watch their clothes slipping down and the feet are in exactly the opposite places to where they were standing. <laughs> so it looks like Neil's the one wearing the dress, <laughs> and she's the one wearing the trousers. And there's loads of, you know, what must be unintentional um, continuity flubs like that that just are yeah. so, so, so funny. It is that thing of, it is so bad, everything about it, the writing the pacing, the gaps in dialogue. The earnestness of the message. Yeah, you can't help but feel either he is completely delusional, completely disconnected from what the product is and what he thinks of it, like what everyone else thinks, or this is all a big joke. Well, But if it's an all a big joke, he hasn't cashed out that joke because he doesn't sell it in bulk. It's not distributed by anybody. He's a guy who makes and prints this stuff onto DVDs himself. Um, you can't just go and buy it in a shop anywhere. But it's, it's a real enigma. Because so no one knows much about him. Yeah. What's interesting to me is he doesn't get any better. He doesn't learn. He doesn't, yeah. he doesn't improve. So Twisted Pair is, is as bonkers and bad as um, I'm, I'm here. here now. And there's, and, and there's about, you know, about years. nine years or so separating them. And he's made films in between. So it's interesting to me that he's still ploughing that same furrow. Mm. But it occurred to me when I was watching I Am Here Now 
that there were moments of the film that feel that felt to me very similar uh, to David Lynch's recent Twin Peaks series, in in in, in as much as there are nonsensical things that don't make, you know, that there are non sequiturs, there are sequences that don't work together, and there's very stilted, unrealistic delivery of dialogue. Yeah. And yet, David Lynch, we all think of as a bit of a genius, and Neil Breen is a, a subject of ridicule. And I think it's interesting how both of these p- people you know, do a particular, have a particular way of doing things. Yeah. Um, that isn't normal. Is out, is out, is outside of the normal way of filmmaking. Um, I know, I think David Lynch probably is a genius, actually. Some of the stuff in the Twin Peaks series, I, I wasn't sure about, but if you look at his overall work, body of work, he's done some incredible things. So clearly they're not the same. And yet there are similarities there are. Do you know what I mean? But it's kind of like with David Lynch. David Lynch, yeah, he's made some incredible films, right? Mm. So you know he can do it. So it's like when an artist, if an artist proves his worth, he can draw fo- almost photorealistic painting. But he then decides after to do something expressionist and weird. You know that that's him experimenting and trying and doing something different. And you know there's some creativity there because he can do the good stuff and he's going for something else. Mm. Whereas... If you just do, if you just threw shit on the canvas and said I'm an artist, <laughs> like people just can go, you shit. Yeah. <laughs> it's, and, it's, and I agree, but you can argue there's a level of indulgence in both of their works, where they're where they're doing stuff to satisfy themselves, rightly or wrongly. But I think it's interesting that um, that Neil Breen has has none of that. You know, doesn't have the ability to back up what he's doing. No, no well, it's because you look at the, the all the bits. Yeah, David Lynch's got some really awkward dialogue and non sequitur stuff and all that sort of stuff. But everything about Neil Breen's film is made technically and artistically wrong. Yeah, <laughs> like there isn't a, a factor of it. You go, oh, that was kind of interesting. The thing is that I think David Lynch a lot of his a lot of his work is more nightmarish. Or dreamlike. Yeah. I think that's the sort of the message you're supposed to be taking Where, from that, is it? Yes. Whereas this is just a guy who doesn't know how to shoot a film. Whereas Neil Breen does that, creates that atmosphere in error. In error, yeah. Accidentally. accidentally. I mean, not intentionally. Because I'm going to start thinking that was the difference, maybe, right yeah. there, is that David Lynch is intentionally making things on the wrong foot. For a reason, yeah. for an artistic yeah. reason. Yeah. Whereas Neil Breen isn't, we assume, trying to do that. Yeah. We assume he's trying to make a film, <laughs> film yeah. with a message and wanting to make that message reach as many people as possible. Yeah. He's trying to make a film that's as mainstream as possible. Mm. And because of his inability to do that, he makes something that's culty and weird, right? Yeah. Because yeah. I was going to say that uh, it, the filmmaker I think he reminds me most closely of would be more like an Ed Wood. Right. Because um, Ed Wood famously made some some of the worst films that Hollywood put out in the 50s and was he did he go into the 60s I'm yeah sure. he did like weird porn stuff later didn't he? Yeah, yeah later I said but I so said you read um, you read his book or the book Nightmare of Ecstasy about Edward I think I've mentioned this before on the podcast but you, you come across the impression of a man that was absolutely earnest and thought he was making good films he thought yeah he this is what I was saying and Neil Breen seems to be exactly the same that's, way yeah that's it but 
it's there's still that question there mm. for me as to is this a, a big because it seems so disconnected. Like what it feels like, it feels like he is like Garth Marenghi, like he is like a, a, a yeah. fictional character who is who who is a really self-important that thinks he's great and great art and he isn't. And that was the whole point of Garth Marenghi in Dark Place was there was this is a character who thinks he's James Herbert or Stephen King. Yeah, he's like a world builder, and and he's and and but his output is actually you know. Yeah, subject to subject to recall. Um, and, and if Neil Breen feels like a similar sort of character yeah. right, to Garth Marenghi, you feel like this should he should be more self aware. But the fact is that his films are so, um, like you say, messianic that he maybe isn't yeah. aware. Maybe he really does. It's a Every single one of them is very egotistical. Yeah, because he is the centre of every film, mm-hmm. and he's almost infallible in every single one. And yeah, he's 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 always the savior and the messiah. That's his thing in each film, um, and I'm sure we'll get to it as well about his whole gripe about the state of the world, bankers, the environment, and all of these. You know, not necessarily wrong message, just the way he does, how it comes across as a as a 17 year old kid who's like just learning about politics and yeah. suddenly ranting about the state of the world, and um, and it's very juvenile in how he handles those themes. I think. Um, and he and it's one of the films where he wipes out like five hundred million people, like where he's basically Thanos. Like he's he's like I'm going to wipe out. I've wiped them all out, all of them. Do you remember that in that doing? Yeah. What? How about this? Why don't we take it in turns to to um, recall some of our favourite Breen moments or or some things that just um, techniques he has or scenes that amuse us or characters that amuse us from the three films that he's watched that we've watched. So, for example. From um, I am here now. Uh, Neil Breen has a very odd sense of how gangs work. So there is a gang in I am here now that that hang out on a on a in front of an abandoned building. They've all got semi-automatic weapons, just kind of standing on the street. Uh, there's two women in the film, and it's interesting. By the way, his version of Vegas is quite interesting, I think, because. I always assume that the majority of people in Vegas work in the hospitality industry because mm-hmm. the Vegas is full of casinos and hotels. Turns out, according to Neil Breen, they all either work for sustainable power companies or they're prostitutes. So those are the only two jobs you have. And so if you fail in one, you go into the other. So, mm-hmm. yes, when the, when the young girl gets sacked from the sustainable energy company, she goes and joins this gang and starts a job as a prostitute, as does her sister who actually just seems to think it's a good career choice. Yeah. And then she ends up in with this gang. So the gang seem to be made up of, like, street hoodlums, but also the politicians and bankers in the, in the town that are crooked. They all seem to hang out on the yeah. st- same street corner together. So you'll have, you'll have, like, guys wearing bandanas and in white vests holding, like, an M16. And then next to it, it's like a banker in a suit who's got grey hair yeah. and wearing glasses. And you're like, this is the weirdest gang I've ever seen. <laughs> also, I've noticed that, and I assume this is what it is, that Neil Breen has a tendency of just adding, like, presumably his mates into the film, or, or people that have given him funding or something, and not really worry too much about whether that makes sense. So there's, like... A European guy in, with an odd accent and oh, long grey um, hair. Uh, what's his name? Pen. That looks like Pendulette. Pendulette, yeah. And, yeah. Just, and, and, when, and to explain why he's, he's here, 
they have a little scene where he says that he's the um, he's the European uh, the guy that gets things in Europe for them. Right? <laughs> the European fixer or something. He's uh, he's there as well, and that feels like it's Neil Breen just adding people in. <laughs> yeah. you know, not too worried about whether it makes any narrative sense or stuff. He'll just add, add a scene. Anyway, this this group of individuals, bankers and lawyers and politicians and street hoodlums, yeah. spend most of the film standing in front of this abandoned house. Killing each other, mm. so having fights, uh, having fights, and watching, or, and, or, and watching, uh, or, or, or shooting people, shooting each other in the hand. Yeah, um, and there's one bit where they beat this guy like seemingly to almost death, which is just a hilariously shot scene because the guy keeps hitting the camera like we're the POV of the person yeah. being bludgeoned, and then we get close up of, of the guy being bludgeoned, and and and. It's one of the worst staged <laughs> torture sequences that I've ever seen. So I'm going to go first with how Neil Breen thinks gangs work. Um, I I want to talk about how he thinks bad guys talk. Um, what I mean by bad guys is, so Neil Breen, as I've always mentioned, has got a big chip on his shoulder about the state of the world in terms of geopolitics, banking and finance, world economy... Um, the environment, sustainable energy, all of these things are mentioned in almost every film he does. But when you get the people who are corrupt, so let's say some politicians who are in the pocket of, um, I don't know, some tech company or some uh, corporation, they will literally stand there talking to each other, saying out loud that they, like very consciously, like, ha, huh, I'm glad that deal went through. Yeah, we've got, the, we've got all the banks in our pockets and the politicians we're going to change that lobby, um, that um, new law they're going to try and put through Congress, and we're going to stop it so we can make more money. Screw the people and the environment. And they talk like they literally they talk like eighties cartoon villains who are saying out loud yes. their yes. villainy, and they know they're villains, and they they revel in it, <laughs> and it's and they're just saying it out loud. And there's a bit in one of the films. It might be what it might be twist. No, what was the other one? Fatal, Fatal findings. findings where he wipes out the 500 million bad people in the world. I've wiped them out, and he goes on TV and he declares this. He takes over a news station or something. <laughs> but there's a bit where he literally walks into um, like a mansion, a CGI mansion, so it's like a JPEG back. I don't know if you remember this, but there's a bit where the backdrop is just of inside a mansion. Oh, yeah. And he walks into like this rich place, and there's all these rich people. And they're just talking <laughs> to each other, and he's like, of course... We twist the interest rates against the average consumer so that we can make more money and, you know, so we can be uh, in the top 1%. Of course, we understand this rips off the everyday person. And Neil Breen walks and goes, but isn't that wrong? Isn't that ripping off the public? And um, they just talk to each other about their evil schemes. (laughs) And that's all they talk about. And that's all they talk about. And they decide, yes, we know that... Um, healthcare. We know we could have solved diabetes ten years ago, but I'm a pharmaceutical CEO, and I want the people to have diabetes <laughs> because it means more money in my pocket. And it's just like no one talks like this. No one says out loud. It's like everyone's in an infomercial. Oh, yeah. Well, I was going to say it sort of reminds me of like the old vaudevillian sort of um, you know, the guy with the long twirly moustache who spends all his film no, waxing well, it. I would say that it would if these guys were acting. Yeah. yeah. So the, the thing 
thing is they don't act. They're usually just robotically saying their lines to camera. Mm-hmm. So they're not acting like... <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> they're not doing any of that. So it literally feels like an infomercial. You know, have you got piles? It's kind of like yeah. that. I'm an evil banker. Yeah. It's kind of, of course, it's, we could invest in sustainable energy but I've got all my money invested in coal. And as long as we can keep raising the temperature of the planet, that means we can do this and that. We can rip off the people. And so that's that, good for me yes. and my investors and my shock, so my shareholders. That and, is a uh, really good one. Ned. Scott, have you got one? Well, I say, for me, I mentioned it already, um, um, the props. I love the, the repetition of props in all this film. So you the doll heads and the laptops and the books. And I say, it will just have lingering shots that tie in in no way to anything you're watching. So you'll be, like, so the, the couple in the van at the start, when one of them just decides to shoot a gun in the air and he's crazy and take drugs, and then you'll get shots of doll heads for no reason whatsoever in, in a cracked desert floor. And things like that, just total non sequiturs. It's, and like you said, the stuff that you'd probably look at in a David Lynch film and think, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm getting a... This is deep. I'm getting a message here. <laughs> but in his film, it's just like, oh, he's just showing us some doll heads now. <laughs> uh, that and the fact that... And John did touch on this earlier as well, um, off, um, off recording. Um, he, he either doesn't bother with the niceties of getting permissions to shoot in places or doesn't realise that that's something you need to do, and obviously you get to just get turfed out of buildings a lot by security guards, because everybody talks outside. There's ne- very rarely an interior shot in any of his films um, where people have conversations that should take place. And that's the problem, isn't it? That's the problem, is that he's still writing conversations that should take place inside, inside. even though he knows he can't shoot inside. Yeah. So in, in I Am Here Now, loads of people get fired from their jobs on the street just outside of a building. Yeah. And the person who fires them goes, I'm really sorry we fired you. They have a little conversation about sustainable energy. Yeah. Then that person goes towards the building yeah. but we don't actually see them going through the doors because obviously that would be criminal trespass and they're not allowed to do yeah. that <laughs> and he doesn't understand how to get permission for you know, yeah. shooting inside and he does the that in Twisted Pear as well a lot mm-hmm. you know he shoots Twisted Pear in a in like well, an industrial park at night so that he's always walking near restaurants or buildings but never actually and talking about going in them but we rarely see people actually one? going in them that's the one where they walk past a homeless person and he's got two little rubber rats sitting next to him. So he, shows does this, yeah, yeah. he does this a lot. Rubber rats, rubber spiders. Yeah. And the best one for me is the plastic baby that the girl oh, in, oh, God, in here now has. Yeah. Because if you are only prepared to use a plastic baby to represent a real baby in a film, just don't have the character have a baby. Yeah. Because then didn't then you don't or, have to worry about it. Or don't have it plainly in shot. You didn't need to yeah. see the baby. You could have the, the, pram, the cradle bit down. At yeah, the you didn't need to see the baby. Instead of having a, a an obviously plastic baby, it's not even a realistic plastic baby. It's just a... Kid's toy. Yeah. Why show that when you know... It's bizarre, isn't it? I mean, I know she yeah. sort of she mentions that she's got a kid, and that's why she's desperate for money, and that's why she becomes a prostitute. Yeah, but like, yeah, well, you're right. I mean, when there's a bit where they walk down the street talking to each other, um, the two sisters, 
and you just see it there, it's there front and centre yeah. on the camera, and you're just like, there's, there's a thousand different ways to shoot this, we don't have to see there's a fake baby in the <laughs> yeah. pram. Like, um, but yeah, I noticed the, the fake rats, and that, that, that's the stuff where I almost feel like, is he tipping his hat, hand a bit there? Because, mm-hmm. like, you've got to be batshit crazy to think that someone wouldn't notice that those two rats... Well, first of all, why would a homeless person be actually sitting next to rats? Um, but also, they are plainly rubber and don't move. And then there's the spider in um, I Am Here Now. There's clearly a rubber spider and being pulled on a piece of like fishing wire. Yeah. But, but doesn't it feel part of that, and this, this plays into the whole Messiah complex thing, is part of it, I think, is that he thinks his audience is dumb. And, yeah. and, and I think he had puts rubber rats next to a homeless person, so you know they're a homeless. So person. you think he's got a messiah complex and a superiority? Complex. Well, I think so. I think a lot, a lot of his films are, are, are preaching the same message over and over and over again. Mm. And um, I do wonder if he just and some of some of the stuff, the plot elements of the of the films are very heavy handedly restated over and over again. Yeah. Maybe yeah. he just doesn't have, because he thinks he's so brilliant, he doesn't have a lot of respect for his audience. Yeah. Maybe that's maybe, what it is. Or maybe he thinks, oh, this will look great with the lighting and the shot and like, and it will help improve the idea that this guy's homeless. Okay. Even though it's an incredibly clean um, like business park, yeah. and there's one guy just sitting there with who's got a bit of muck on it, you know, a bit of soot yeah. on his face. So then we need to put a couple of rubber rats next to it. doesn't look like yeah. a rat-infested area particularly. No, it's very like clean, tidy. Yeah, and there just happens to be two rubber rats sitting next to him. Mm. It's, it's crazy. Mm. And then there's stuff like um, a lot of ADR lines as well. Very obviously, you know, like post-recorded um, audio just placed over footage. That mm. happens a lot in these films as well. And so, actually, there's another thing you just... You, you, you've made me think of. So if we're thinking that most of his films are shot in Las Vegas, which they could well be, mm. um, he only ever seems to settle on one central location. Yeah. So that business park, as you said, is where the homeless person is. Yeah. But why couldn't you shot the homeless person in the wrecked house where he shot this Because he found one later and maybe yeah. that's happened. Yeah. But, I mean, they're all got to be just about there. Yeah, it's I mean, like he hasn't travelled outside of anywhere. He's found one location and thought that would do. Yeah, I mean, this is all stinks of, like, yeah. you know, very, very amateur filmmaking. Yeah. Is when he's making the film, he finds, oh, look, there's a uh, half-collapsed building. That'll look good on yeah. film. So we'll and he'll shoot everything. Yeah. Like <laughs> <it>. <laughs> like, yeah. We, do, we can do this in two days. Oh, well, <laughs> oh that business park closes after seven. There's no one here. I could film... A lot of my stuff here at night because it looks kind of cool and futuristic. <laughs> so um, another thing I wanted to mention was this rather awkward use of um, female actors in yeah, his films, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, both in terms of the way he writes the characters and in terms of what the poor girls kind of have to do in the movies. So uh, his, his female characters, bimbos, bimbos they're all, they're all, prostitutes, they're all very. Um, I don't know, very subservient. Subservient. Very naive. Subservient. Yeah. Um, I, I wouldn't say, like, there's, there's some stuff in I Am Here Now, which is almost sleazy, but it doesn't seem to come from a place of being sleazy. Like, I don't forget that sense that... I find it all a little bit uncomfortable. It's when uncomfortable. He, when he writes the, the, any, mm. any uh, sex scenes or there's any nudity or partial nudity in mm. a film with the female actors, it feels quite cringe. Mm. And there's a scene in I Am Here Now at the poolside with one of the lawyer politician guys where um, um, the girls yeah. keep 
um, are holding their breasts with their hands and giggling. Yeah. And then getting in and out of the pool and into the pool and out of the pool and we get the same giggling. bit of footage yeah. repeated over and over again. Yeah. One poor girl gets onto a lino and almost brains herself <laughs> yeah. on the side of the swimming pool which just looked like one of the most dangerous stunts I've ever seen performed. <laughs> stunts. Um, it was. It looked like she, she nearly died. All that stuff's a little bit... I mean, it's not mega sleazy. No, that's what I mean. It's a little bit sleazy. I've seen plenty of low-budget films where you're like, oh, this feels... This feels like there's some stuff going off off camera. Like, it just feels wrong. Like, Uh, films that... Where maybe the writer has... Who's also starring in the film, you know, has used it as an excuse to fill some boobs in a film. mm -hmm. You know, like, there's plenty of films I've seen where the whole film... This whole... this Making this whole film feels just like an excuse to... Be in yeah. a naked scene with a woman yeah. doesn't feel like that level of sleaze, but yeah, it feels uncomfortable and weird. But yeah, the bigger problem for me is the writing because all the women in it are dumb as hell, mm. and he, they're there to just admire him. Yes, yeah. well, I mean the, the scene when she does lose her job. One of the one of the women loses her job, and I think it's like, is she? I'm trying to think now. Is she with her sister at the time, or does she just t- tell her sister about it later? And her sister immediately says, well, you could be a prostitute. No, I think they're but, talking. That's where they're yeah, so the, the first plan. girl loses a job and yeah. they're having a chat about what she's going to do now. So, yeah. And her sister, that's what her sister says. You could she's just be a prostitute. Just strip her a yeah. prostitute. Is Literally that? the first thing out of her mouth. And then when she says, yeah, I'll do that, the sister says, yeah, I think I'll do that as well. Yeah. Yeah, well, that's, it's more on the lines of she said, oh, be a, you should be a stripper. She said, oh, I can't do that. She goes, well, you know, there's a few perks. You might um, might be able to get a bit of extra money on the side. So she's suggesting to her, you know, a pr- prostitution as well. Mm. And she goes, oh, I can't. I've got a kid. I'm a mother. And, and then, yeah, and then the sister was like, well, I might get into it as well because I'm sure it's really good money. I mean, I know some people, which is that gang member, yeah. uh, gang leader, the um, the black guy with the white vest on yeah, all the time. Yeah. Um, and... Yeah, it's just like it's it's like he it just strikes me as someone who is clearly quite middle class and he's writing about the ghetto, but it's all based on what he's seen on TV and TV shows. Well, it's, you is know, it like, even, don't is it even think that it's because based on that. No, yeah, it's because you see, we'd write a better gang now just based on what we've seen on TV. You know, Law and Order. Yeah, <laughs> isn't there a bit in um, I'm Here Now where he pulls up to two gang members in a car? Yeah, and they pull they pull some guns on him, and he yeah. freezes them. There's a few scenes in I'm Here Now where he freezes people, and people have to uncomfortably stand still. What's the, the, the best oh, one is the yeah. one at the Las the, Vegas side, the wheelchair because guy. the guys are standing still in the foreground. In the background, you can see people on the other side of the street walking past. You can see yeah. cars going past. It's just funny, isn't it's it? It's yeah. the bit of we watched that other night together. The reason why it made me laugh so much. Is because people are just walking normally, and when you walk normally, your arms only sway slightly to your sides. And when he freezes them, they pull these very exaggerated, <laughs> like their limbs, their hands yeah, and yeah. arms are way out in front of like behind each other. Yeah, like they're, like, they're, like they're sixteen and, characters. And, and right? that's, yeah. yeah, and that's what made me laugh because they're just walking normally. And suddenly they're told to freeze, obviously off camera, freeze. And then they just suddenly do these exaggerated walking <laughs> poses. And I'm just like. Oh, fucking! You're joking. Just, right? to, just. To, I mean, you can't see England right now, but he looks like Super Mario. Super Mario with his arms and legs. Super Mario jump. And um, <laughs> we haven't talked about that bit. That whole subplot, have we? With the guy in the wheelchair. So this so, comes so, out of nowhere. So in this, this film. is another bring uh, thing, I think, which we've seen in all his films. Which is, which is, he has a bunch of different plots going on, none of which are relevant 
or, or tie together or have anything to do with each other. So in Fatal Findings, his, his, his friend being murdered by his wife and then passing it off as a suicide yeah. has nothing to do with the story about him hacking the planet. Other than to serve as a, another way to reiterate that he is the saviour, he's, he's a good guy. So the guy in the wheelchair in this is just another example of him showing him being like a Jesus-like character where he cures yeah. him of his ailments. and Yeah. That he's he a, ages him, doesn't he? Well, at the end, he turns him into like a kind of like simple jack-looking guy with a weird bowl haircut. And he, yeah. and he hooks him up with the prostitute, the plastic baby. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But in that, we're about probably a good two-thirds away through the film. And suddenly it just cuts to a really, well, not really old guy, a guy in probably 60, um, that's just laying in this half-collapsed house with a wheelchair next to him. You don't know who <laughs> yeah, he is. Yeah. And he's never mentioned before. He's not part of the story. Yeah. And you see him stumble into his, climbs into his own wheelchair, and then he wheels off. And he's got two giant bruises on each eye. We don't know what's happened to him. We don't know who's done this to him. And then there's people like pushing around away and ignore him. And he gets, he, all he wants to do is see the Las Vegas sign. Hmm. Even though I think he lives there. Because what's he got a month to live? Doesn't he sound like Yeah, I, none of this is explained. Yeah. I don't know who he is. And, and then someone, someone bumps into him and starts shouting at him and tells him that he got in his way. And then Neil Breen intervenes. He goes, I'm disappointed with the, the politeness of your species. <laughs> and, um, and, get, and then he freezes him, or he, then he freezes a bunch of people so he can just read up to the sign that's already there. <laughs> but that whole bit doesn't make... And then he comes back later, doesn't he? Is he the guy on the bike that fell off? Or do I misremember? No, no, that's a different guy. You asked that when we watched yeah, it. Yeah. So there's a bit where a guy just bikes past the two girls, and because they're so hot, he looks at them and falls off his bike. Like that's what I thought it was. Horrible <laughs> 80s slapstick team movie. Benny Hill... So yeah, yeah. Yeah. And then at the end of the film, the old man in the wheelchair who's dying, it's only then that Neil Breen's character decides, oh, I'll cure, cure you of your ailments and suddenly make you, like, 21. Yeah. Well, this is the odd thing, isn't it, generally about, about I Am Here Now, is that this Jesus, robot Jesus character comes to Earth um, to judge our species. Actually, what he really does is dick around... Vegas for a couple of days. But the dialogue insinuates that he's fixing the world's problems. Yes. So he spends the whole film around this one collapsed building dealing with this one gang and this one lady becoming a prostitute. Yes. And some crooked politicians. Yeah, I was just going to say, what were the crooked politicians, what was their plot? What were they trying to do? They were putting under the sustainable energy company. Right. They were trying to stop them from lobbying in Congress right. for sustainable energy. Yeah. And they talked about this several times in the cast. Yeah, how could you not know their plots, Scotty? About 30 minutes of the running time was them telling you to camera what their plot was. Yeah. yeah. Was, well, you know, I've paid off in politicians. Their, their bill won't go through Congress. That's why they yeah. kept sacking uh, those people from, from, their, from the front of their solar building. panel. And so they couldn't film in the building. So the boss would come walking from the front door, not out of it, from the front door, walk up to one of them and go, I'm sorry, but we're going to have to let you go yeah. as we're being shuttered because a bigger company is buying us out or something. Yeah. I'm glad I caught you before you came in the building. Yeah. <laughs> and then that, that sacking scene happened about three times. Yeah. Um, and yeah, um, and I, I have no idea where any of that wheelchair stuff came None of it hangs together. No. no. So it's the same thing in Fatal Findings. You know, the story is that he's hacking... For information, but then there's also a weird story about him and this girl 
they found this ball, crystal ball in the in the forest, and he what? and this girl is yeah, is like he's intended to be with her or something. Yeah. Oh, it's someone finds her, and he, re- he meets her again at a pool party. Uh, where the continuity is really bad and everyone stands in different positions from one shot to the is next. Is that where they told us that villain with a deep voice? Yeah, and then he ends up with her, doesn't he? Because oh, because oh, they, they found her magic snow globe. Yeah. Am I remembering this right? Yeah. You yeah, both look really confused. Yeah. 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 Well, first of all, we watched the other two films quite late at night yeah. and it was about three months ago. <laughs> so yeah, I'm struggling to well, okay. I'm struggling to p- keep them separate in my head as to what each one was, and other than one we watched recently. Yeah. But they all have the same thing; they, they all have the same flaws. You're right; he doesn't seem to learn from one thing to the yeah, next. They're all pretty much the same film, aren't they? Really? Yeah, the, the plot wise, narrative wise, all pretty much. The he same fixes film. the world, and everyone loves him. Yeah. He's a genius, and yeah, he's the smartest. Yeah, but he can solve we it. would we would recommend them. Oh yeah. yeah. So here's the thing that you need to take away. These films are a huge amount of fun to watch. And yeah. also hugely difficult to find. As I mentioned at the beginning, he is a guy who distributes them himself. He literally prints them onto jewel cases, those old like CD album cases. It, they're not You can't get them in a DVD box or anything like that. They, yeah. You have to order them straight from him, and some of them he doesn't even print anymore. And he charges a fucking fortune for them. Yeah. Um, he recently brought out a four-DVD, or was it four-hour retrospective of his five films mm. where he teaches people who have bought this collection how to make films and how to be an independent Neil filmmaker and, and um, it's $160 right well this is another reason why I'm comparing more to Ed Wood because Ed Wood did a similar thing I think he published a book onto DVD telling yeah, you about no I've, I've got it it's yeah. called Hollywood Rap Race there you go it tells how to you be a successful how filmmaker how to be a successful filmmaker in Hollywood absolutely it's a step by step guide when, to, to do's and don'ts yeah, when he didn't know himself yeah. <laughs> because, but, yeah. but that uh, that's the another similarity the I mean you know like you say it is possible he could be playing a character but if he is he's then obviously hats yeah. off to him. Yeah, there's no, there's no cracks in the army. Yeah, <laughs> no, no. So apparently, because um, I watched a YouTube video about this retrospective, and in that they talked about it, and they said that, um, they showed a clip of it, and in that Neil Breen is talking about the fact that in Europe, a major um, cinema petitioned to show his film, one of his films, in the cinema to a screening. And over 1,500 people went to see it in this one screen. He showed the footage of it. He goes, this is a screen for one of my films. This isn't some cult, small film, and it's not a parody. This is my film, and people flocked to see it. And he's bragging about how successful his film is. Mm. But he apparently also has these stipulations that he's not, they're not allowed to do midnight showings of his yeah. films. Um, he's very, very, very um, uh, precious about his films. He won't let... Cult film, uh, cult cinema shows films. He won't do these midnight screenings, so it had to be in the early evening in this cinema. Come where it was. I'm sure it was in Europe. You mean at the at the times they show proper films? Yes. Not not late yeah. at night. Not midnight the, cult films. The, yeah, for the cult illusion, like um, like Troll Two and that sort of stuff. Yeah. yeah. He wanted it to be a legitimate screening of a film, and obviously he's just oblivious to the fact that it, everyone who flocked to see this was because. It's an inside joke for cult bad movie fans because yeah. he has recently 
gathered, you know, that reputation online. Right. You look on anywhere like Reddit or Twitter or anywhere like that, then yeah, Neil Breen is way up there now. Mm. Way up there. I think probably he's even overtaken Tommy Wiseau as like a mm. um, a bad movie entrepreneur. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, very interesting character. I would like to see this four-hour retrospective, but I'm just. I'm not spending $160 yeah. on it because it's, you know it's going to be... It'd probably be very funny. I'd imagine it'd be hilarious. Yeah. Apparently it's a lot of um, talking heads of him. Mm. He, he recorded Like his films, you mean? Am I not... I'm all right in thinking that there is actually a scene in that where um, he actually overdubs one of his lines because he flubbed it to camera. So he overdubs one of his lines or something. So say so he can't even oh, make a film about making a film. Without, oh, yeah. Yeah. He was talking about he was talking about something about it was it's not good to um, use ADR it's not professional or right. something you should get the scene correct as you film it and then as he's talking about that he he's clearly <laughs> overdubbed his own mouth <laughs> where he's obviously flubbed the word so he's ADR'd over yeah. it and it's like th- that's where you're almost like are you is that's, this yeah, yeah, is, is that a joke yeah, is this uh, is, it, is this are you trying to do a joke about the thing you're talking about or do you think people are stupid enough to not notice that? Yeah. It, and it's you start thinking, are are you playing a giant prank on everybody? A hundred and sixty dollar prank. <laughs> yeah, interesting. I think mm. Mm. very interesting guy. But his films are hilarious. Um, I would put them up up there easily with any of the worst of the worst. Mm. Myself. Yeah, absolutely. I, you know, I would say if you've. Yeah. If you've watched The Room uh, and you want and you all oh, Birdemic and you want more, then oh, Neil, yeah. Neil Breen's definitely the next uh, next stopping point. But just yeah, good luck finding it. Um, <laughs> any of them. Um, yeah, and I think as I said at the beginning, a big chunk of it is the sincerity of the message. If there's an earnestness to the filmmaking, it elevates the comedy. Because yeah, you get this shit like Sharknado, and you, as soon as you know that intentionally bad it mm. just def- deflates all the value in that comedy mm. when you know they're just doing it for yucks mm. when you get someone like Neil Breen who thinks he's genuinely like some, he's got some Superman complex yeah and you're like oh right and it just makes everything ten times funnier because it's just failing but, but, in everything but, it, but isn't that what makes what makes Neil Breen unique I think is that he continues to make films um, exactly the same as he always did mm. and that's not necessarily the case for you know James Aguilian from Birdemic, they made a sequel to Birdemic and it was played for laughs. Um, and yeah, that's what I mean where I said he hasn't cashed in. Yeah, he hasn't, absolutely he hasn't, hasn't like, made... But so that's very unusual, I think, because I can't imagine Tommy Wiseau making another film now that didn't... But even uh, he cashed in, didn't he? Maybe he partnered with um, James Franco's company to make Disaster Eyes. Disaster Eyes. But mm. I can't imagine him making... What I'm saying is I can't imagine him making a film now that doesn't acknowledge his cult status as a bad filmmaker. Oh. Didn't he make a TV show, though? He tried to make a TV show, and apparently it was like... I can't remember I think... I can't remember I read about this. He tried... Tommy Wiseau tried to, off the back of his own name, tried to make a TV... Like a drama or soap opera thing. But it was badly made as The Room, but the way it was made, everyone's like, he's clearly tipping his hand here. Like, but that's my... Yeah. But yeah. It's, you know, Whereas Neil Breen seems to... Stay in this bubble. Yes, yeah, he's sincere. He's very yes. sincere. Yeah. Yeah, and yeah. the fact he won't show it at cinema free midnight screenings yeah. and he won't let anybody show it. Because he's, 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 he's trying to cash in, yeah. 
could cash in on that, he could make a bit of bank, but he's not. Yeah. Well, I wonder how many people bought that four hour well, $160 thing. At least three. I should think mm. a lot of people who are really into this stuff probably cashed mm. bought, bought it. Yeah. He's probably made a few quid off that. It would be worth watching. Oh, well, yeah. yeah. In, in four one hour installments. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Can I take out a finance plan yeah. and watch Daniel Green? <laughs> Um, but yeah, I mean, you could easily cash out to like someone like Amazon Prime and put his shit on there. Mm. Ironically, you know, like if he was that self-aware, yeah, and he could get you know some back-end money off of that stuff. If they, if they put his whole catalogue, mm. the Neil Breen collection, out digitally, he mm. could. I think a lot of people would buy it in, I, in a heartbeat. I, I sort of think he's just now he's, he's making a film. What's he? What's he averaging? One every three years or something? I don't know. I think from what I remember reading is that the last bunch of films, all the films he's made so far, he's made out of his own money because yeah. I think he's quite a successful uh, real estate agent. Mm. But I think he is his next film, he's trying to get crowdfunded. Mm. So my instinct is that he's burnt a lot of money yeah. <laughs> making these films, which is probably why that thing is $160. Yeah. Um, um, he's trying to get a month's claw some of this money back. I'm just thinking he, sort of, he keeps on sort of putting a film out every now and again thinking this is the one that's going to crack the climate change crisis or yeah. or end racism or whatever yeah. the hell it is his, his message is in, in whatever film he's doing and then um, he's just waiting for the mothership to come back and pick him up yeah. <laughs> that's what it is I can't imagine buying a house off Neil Breen he'd be like buy this house yeah. Why this do you want this house? How much buy? do you want to pay? It has. It this has, is a house you really need to buy. It has four bedrooms, two en suite. There's a closet where you can keep your doll heads and rubber tarantulas. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Across the street is a collapsed building, yeah. and over there you can see the business park. Yeah. You're right in the middle of a booming <laughs> yeah. film industry. Yeah. <laughs> uh, how much do you want for it? <laughs> Yeah, he's got a strange way of saying questions as well. He shouts a lot. Yeah. In a sort of... He talks shouts. I don't know if, if that's a thing, but... He says yeah. a lot of things in a, in a monotone. Um, when he's trying to emote, he just uses, I think, the same monotone louder. Yeah. <laughs> and he does a lot of voiceover. It's an emotional scene. He's just, he just does it a bit louder. Yeah. Yeah, and he does a lot of voiceover, and he narrates his films. Urgh. It's not what I planned. Humanity has let itself down. And it's, all the, and it's like that, but he talks for yes. minutes on end and you're yeah. like with slow pans of a desert or some stock footage of a, of a plant rotting, you know, like to show humanity, you know, yeah. ruined everything again. Which I suspect is also a lot to do with the fact that he doesn't have a lot of respect for the audience, maybe. Yeah. Is that, he ha- that, he, that he has to fill, you know, if they... If, for our previous example, if David Lynch was showing some weird shots, he'd just show weird shots. Mm. Um, Breen feels like he needs to narrate over the top of everything that's going on to just force feed the audience whatever the message is uh, that he wants to convey. Yeah. You know, which is usually the one about sustainable energy and uh, crooked politicians. What was the bit in, I want to say, Fateful Findings, where the what was this dialogue when he, he was ranting about his mate committing suicide? It's something like, uh, why did you commit suicide, Steve? Why did you have to go and commit suicide? I can't believe you committed suicide. Why did you have to commit suicide, Steve? Mm-hmm. And then he says something like, um, 
I've been able to get you out of some scrapes, my friend, but I can't get you out of this one. That's pretty <laughs> yeah. much that was, that's how I remember the dialogue. <laughs> Do you remember the bit in fact, the brilliant bit in Fatal Findings where he tries to drink the coffee? Um, when he's like, he's like got his face on the on the mo- on the on the monitor on his desk, yeah. Yeah. and he can't lift his head to the coffee cup. So instead, he just kind of tips, tips the coffee it. cup all over him, himself and his laptop. <laughs> Very purposefully, accidentally. Yeah, it's like it's like you've never seen anyone have a more purposeful accident than when he sort of tips the coffee over. <laughs> <on. It's just laughs> like, is that it? He's, well, he's got that study where he's got the eight laptops and yes. the piles of books. Yes. And he keeps like throwing... No the, more books. No more <laughs> books. And he keeps throwing the book on the same laptop and then picking laptop yeah, yeah. and put, dropping it on the table. Yeah. And it's clearly an already broken laptop that he used as a prop to show <laughs> anger. So he would keep throwing the book on No more books. <laughs> and he would just keep throwing the same laptop down and the same book on the same Does laptop. It, I mean... The, Something you might you might have picked this up from what we've been saying, but might not. But but it's worth reiterating is just how much repetition there is in these films. Not just of the same like scene yeah. or, or or the same shot, but but scenes that are effectively doing the same thing. So the so the amount of times in Fatal Findings, like Nud just said, that it, that when he's in he's, he's in his office and he's shouting and bashing things around. There's about eight scenes like that, mm. and, he, and there does seem there's an inordinate amount of repetition in these films, isn't there? It, like half of his, half of every film, at least, uh, yeah, and is repetition. Mm. Most, pretty much any decent film, from a structure point of view, a scene happens for a reason, so the plot progresses, progresses to the yeah. next step, right? In his ones, he'll he'll have these usually in the middle. He'll he'll be angry and he'll be throwing a book on the laptop, going, "This isn't good enough." And then he'll go and try and do something, and then something will go wrong and it won't happen. And then he'll just be back to square one, and we'll be back in that office, and he's throwing a book on. Oh, you like so? We've, we've literally gone nowhere for forty minutes. Or the so. next scene will be completely unrelated to that. Yeah, you know, another song. He'll, he'll be in a good mood. He'll be at a Christmas. He'll be at the um, a pool party. And then in the next scene, he'll be back in his office and he'll be banging things around again. And there's yeah. no progression of character or story. No. It's just a bunch of scenes that yeah. have just been slapped, <laughs> meaninglessly slapped together. Do you remember the weird bit in, I think it's Twisted, might be Twisted Pair, where he basically stalks a woman and breaks into her house and then tries to rape her. And by rape her, I mean they playfully wrestle on the sofa. <laughs> and then it turns out it's all like a big sex game, and he and it's his wife or something. It's his wife, it is and twi- it is twisted pair. Yeah, and that, what the fuck was that any of that about? Do you remember? I do remember. It was near the start of the film. Yeah, and does, does that go anywhere after that? No, there's no explanation. No, they have a weird activity. At have all. a weird role play thing. That's where... just how what couples do. Yeah, sure. I guess That's just what couples do. Apparently. Neil Breen knows because he knows everything about the human. Behaviour, yeah. because he knows everything about everything. Human experience. So that's what. That's that's. Do you not do that then? Yeah, we don't no, at home. No, no. Interesting. Don't so, at home. You can do other places. Yeah. That really is weird. At the weekend, I don't mind. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you go around friends' houses. But is there anything more we can say about Neil Breen? I mean, really. Anyone listening to this, you should probably jump on YouTube and try and find a Neil Breen compilation. Or some, yeah, clips. some clips or something. Yeah. You very easily get an idea for his world yeah. of strange, shouty, 
acting yeah. and stilted dialogue and if you, continuity blubs. You can find a ten minute clip that pretty much covers it, probably. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, probably. Yeah. 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 I mean, most most of the films you could probably do in twenty minutes if you didn't repeat everything. Yeah. And you know, actually edited it. Yeah. There's a lot of weird editing. Although in that last film, it wasn't edited by him. It was edited by some guy with very and name. him. Uh, yeah. I think the other name was a pseudonym. Yeah, I, I think it was well. him and him. I reckon, yeah, I reckon probably. And he did. Yeah. And he was credited a lot, wasn't he? Everything at the end of the film, every other credit was Neil Breen. Yeah, it was a very strange name. It was like Mr. Majestic, wasn't it? So that sort of tips you <laughs> a little bit. Yeah, Mr. Final Cut Pro. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, right, yeah. I Edited think... by a shovel and a sledgehammer. <laughs> <laughs> I think we're done, aren't we? I think yeah, I think so. I think we've said everything we want to say about Neil Breen. Check his stuff out. Um, and my favourite of the three films that we've watched is probably Fateful Findings. I think that's the funniest one. And I think it's the one people generally start with. It's the more well-known one. It's one of his more recent ones. Uh, I would probably start with that. Um, I think I'm here now. Test the patience of even a Neil Breen aficionado. Yeah. Because it's pretty tedious. It does have some very, very funny moments in it. Um, but um, I'll probably start with Fatal Findings. And if you enjoy that, try some of the others, mm. if you can find them. But mm. um, they are they are one of a kind. Once, see, once witnessed, never forgotten. Yeah, absolutely. Cool. I think we're yeah. done then. Yeah, that was cool. Well, it's nice to be back talking yeah. about bad films. First episode in a while. Thanks for listening, yeah. and uh, we'll, we'll try and do this again really soon. Well, we hope you enjoyed it. I say um, we'd like to say we're back soon, but it's probably going to be another eighteen months, isn't it, most likely? Well, we'll as we always say, we'll try. We'll try not to make this a, like a like a what every <laughs> four times a decade kind of thing. Yeah. yeah. Let's try and agree to do this more more often than Neil Breen makes films. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's uh, oh, I don't know. You're asking a bit much. <laughs> Cool. Right. Well, I've been Nud. Scott. JP. Bye.